Amen. Ah, good to be with you again tonight on Wednesday night. Exodus chapter 36 tonight, or excuse me, 35. I'm a chapter ahead, 35 tonight. These last chapters of Exodus also are a lot of repetition of what we have heard earlier. But one of the things that makes Exodus 35 stand out is that this chapter is primarily focused on the worshipers, those who are designing and, and building and ministering and worshiping in the tabernacle. Next week, we begin to talk once again about the equipment in the tabernacle and the furniture in the tabernacle and the significance of all of that and how all of that is a reflection of God. But tonight, we want to talk about the people. And everything that we're going to talk about tonight is so relevant and applicable to us in our walk with God today. So, again, it's just a, such a great chapter for us to glean so much from, even though, obviously, this happened many thousands of years ago. It is so up-to-date, if you will, in its principles that God lays down in this chapter. As I said before, our worship the last few chapters of Exodus emphasize two primary things, the importance of the worship of God and the importance of the presence of God. And the delay of the building of the tabernacle is now getting ready to resume. Remember, the people of God failed big time while Moses was on the mountain. They entered into making a golden calf and idolatry and rebellion and all kinds of crazy stuff. And God has had to forgive. He's had to renew and restore and reconcile and sort of give them a restart as the people of God. They need to be in a right place before they can even begin to build. And it is a good reminder to us that God takes his people through processes. And God is more concerned about the process that he takes his people through in order to build us up and mature us and grow us and strengthen us as it is getting us to the end goal. Because once we get there, it starts all over again. And God will have new processes to take us through as well. So there's seven things in this chapter I want to point out tonight. And again, it all sort of comes back to the people of God at this point. Notice in verse 1 the phrase, the whole community. Moses gathered together or assembled the whole community of the Israelites and said to them, these are the things that the Lord has commanded you to do or to carry out. The building of the tabernacle was to be a project of all the people because worship and God's presence is to be the business of all God's people, not just some of God's people. Again, I want to direct your attention back to those words, the whole community. This has always been 
God's way and God's desire. He doesn't want just a few of us in a community of believers to go with him. He wants everybody to go. He doesn't want just part of the church to be engaged fully with him. He wants the whole community to be fully engaged. He doesn't want just part of the church or those worshiping at the tabernacle to be involved in ministry and service. He wants the whole community, everyone to do their part. That's why down through history, no church ever gets to that stage. No, no group of worshipers ever gets there because there's never been a group of God's people on earth where every last person involved in that community of believers was all in, fully engaged and serving. And yet, that's what we've got to keep working toward. We have got, because that's God's will, that, that's God's desire that every last person in the church play their part, do their part. Before, and can you imagine what a church would be like if every last person that called that church, that local church, their home church, that everybody, every last person was all in all the time? What would that be like? And so that's something we have to keep in mind. First of all, for our own sakes, are we doing our part? Are we as engaged and all in as we should be as part of the whole community? But then it's also a good reminder to us that we need to be an encourager and a supporter and a helper to others to get them involved and to encourage them to be involved and to be all in with us, that we all need to move together as one unit, just like the tabernacle. It was made up of different parts, but it was all part of one unit that would move with the people of God. God wants to reflect that kind of diversity and unity within his own people. So keep that in mind. That's the first principle tonight, the whole community. You'll also see there, obviously, the importance of the whole community being obedient because he mentions these are things that the Lord has commanded. The second thing I want to talk about in verses 2 and 3 is the Sabbath and how important it was to God and how you and I can, in a sense, observe a Sabbath rest today. He says, in six days, work may be done, verse 2, but on the seventh day, there must be a holy day for you, a sacred, set-apart day, a Sabbath or complete rest to the Lord, a holy pause or intermission, if you will, in our daily lives. Notice how important this was to God. Anyone who does work on it will what? Be put to death. You must not even kindle a fire in any of your homes on the Sabbath day. 
Three things I want to mention in regards to the Sabbath and why it's important to God and why in our own way we need to observe it today. One, God is a holy God, holy other. And we as God's people need to make sure that we set aside a time during the week, a day to say, God, this is your day. This is your day. You are important enough. You are significant enough. You are of highest value and worth in my life. I need to make sure that in my way, I am setting you apart by setting apart a time for just you. Because he's worthy of it. That's one of the reasons why God wanted to instill a Sabbath. The second is, if you'll see in verse 2, it was to be also a complete rest for the people of God. Because God made us to have to rest. Let me repeat that. God did not make us to be able to work nonstop so that if we violate in our lives the principle of Sabbath rest, our bodies physically, our bodies emotionally, and our bodies spiritually will begin to break down. We must realize that setting aside time to rest is something that God designed us to do. And if we don't do it, we pay a price. We must rest. And we must learn to rest. Some people, I'll say it this way, some people, even when they're resting, are not resting. You get what I'm saying? You can be inactive, in a sense, physically, and still not be at rest. So we must learn to rest in God and provide ourselves with some measure of spiritual, emotional, and physical rest. And third, the other reason why Sabbath was so important to God is he was also instilling in his people and building into his people a measure of trusting him, trusting him to provide for them learning to trust God to provide in six days what one would need for seven. Let me repeat that. Learning to trust God to provide in six days what one would need for seven. I'll give you one modern example that we're all familiar with, Chick-fil-A. Many people thought Truett Cathy was nuts 
when he started the company and said, we're only going to be open six days on Sunday, we're going to close. Look at how much money you're going to lose if you're not open on Sunday. They're fine. I, I don't think that Chick-fil-A's, you know, like financially, you know. Because there's a principle there. God is saying to his people, I need you to trust me that the reason I'm telling you to pause for a day is not just for your own good, not just because it's a way to honor me, but it's also a way for you to learn to trust me to provide for you in six days of work what you're going to need for seven. So we have the principle of the whole community being involved, and we have the principle laid down by God of a Sabbath. Then we move on to verse 4, an offering a contribution. And we'll talk more about this next week. But Moses spoke to the whole community of the Israelites, verse 4. This is the word that the Lord has commanded. Take an offering for the Lord. Make a contribution to the Lord. And then go over to verse 24. This is repeated. Everyone making an offering of silver or bronze bought, brought it as an offering to the Lord, as a contribution to the Lord. Everyone in the whole community was to contribute something to the building and to the materials needed for the tabernacle. Everyone. And obviously, they could not contribute what they didn't have, but they were to contribute out of what they did have. And everybody had something. In fact, let's not forget something here. And th this is part of going back to how good God can provide. Remember that these were a slave people. These were a people that were enslaved in Egypt for hundreds of years. And when they left Egypt... They were rich. They took plunder from Egypt, plunder that has helped them to survive and thrive all these years up to this point, and even to the point now where God supplied through Egypt the resources that was needed to build the tabernacle out of the most precious of materials and metals. Where did it come from? Slaves. God is saying, don't you trust me to provide for your needs and then through you to have enough left over to provide a contribution and an offering to me for sacred use at my house of worship? So not only is the whole community to be engaged, and to make sure that they take a Sabbath. But everyone is to be a contributor, a participant, not a spectator, as many Christians are today in many churches. They come, they sit, they spectate, they leave, they take, but there's no contribution. There's no participation. God always meant for his people that when they are part of his people, his community of believers, that they are not only to take a Sabbath, but that they are to contribute to the overall well-being of the 
community and of the ministry of that community and to that community. An offering. Now, not that this is the only way that we do offering, but obviously we don't talk a lot about it at the Oasis. I even have to be reminded by people, hey, we've got new people coming. They want to give something in the offering, and they don't even know what to do with it. Yeah, it's that box back there. <laughs> Obviously, that's not the only offering or contribution that we can make, but that certainly is one way that we can do it. Then you'll notice verse 10, the next principle. Every skilled person among you is to come and make, build all that the Lord has commanded. By the way, in the Hebrew, that word skilled can also be translated wise. Every wise person among you must come and build or make all that the Lord. It's not just enough to say, okay, I'm going to contribute to it, I've got to be part of actually the building as well. i got to get my hands dirty. I, I can't just sit back and go, I'm contributing to the work, but I'm not part of actually doing the work. God wants both, both, for us to materially contribute to the work of the Lord and for us to actually be a part of doing the work with our own hands, if you will. And the reason I wanted to point out that that word skilled can also be translated wise is remember that speaks of a person who has great respect and reverence for the Lord because the Bible says the fear of the Lord is the beginning of what? Wisdom. And that word fear means to just have a high regard and respect and reverence for God. That is the beginning. That is the foundation for wisdom. And so notice, God wants people who are involved with the work who have a very high regard and reverence and respect for him. When we think of skill or when we think of wisdom, we think again of somebody who's, who's smart and intelligent and all that, but God looks even beyond that. Not that that's not part of it, but he looks at someone who respects him, who wants to honor him in what they do with their hands as part of the community of believers. And all of us are building something with our lives. We are. In fact, keep your finger there in Exodus. We'll come back to Exodus 35 in just a minute. But I thought of this passage as I was studying for tonight. 1 Corinthians chapter 3 is always a good reminder. 1 Corinthians chapter 3. I'm just going to begin at verse 10. Paul's talking here to the Corinthians about our lives and what we build with it. And again, all of us are building something with our life and with our ministry. And Paul says, look, according to the grace of God given to me, verse 10, like a skilled master builder, I laid a foundation, someone else builds upon it. We're just part of a link in a chain, Right? Those have come before us, and there will be those who come after us. And each one must be careful how he builds. 
First of all, no one can lay any foundation other than what is being laid, which is Jesus Christ. We talked about him being the cornerstone. And if anyone builds on the foundation with gold, silver, precious stones, wood, hay, or straw, each builder's work will be plainly seen for the day. There's coming a day where God will make it clear because it will be revealed by fire and the fire will test what kind of work, what quality of work each person has done. If what someone has built survives, he will receive an eternal reward. If someone's work is burned up, he will suffer loss. He himself will be saved, but only as through fire. See, God is saying to us, we are building something. And one day we're going to stand before the Lord on that day and God's going to look at all that we have built and he's going to pass it through his fire, if you will. That which survives God's purity test, that fire, will be rewarded. But there's going to be those things that we built that do not pass the test and will be consumed by God's fire. Again, even as Paul points out, this is not judgment for salvation. This is all about reward and responsibility in eternity and what position and place and all of that we're going to have throughout eternity. It's how we lived our Christian life and what we did with our life. What did we build with it? What kind of spiritual legacy, if you will, did we leave? What kind of impact or difference did we make? Everyone's building. And so even Moses, back in Exodus 35, if you go back there, reminds us of that. Whole community, Sabbath, an offering, come and make or come and build. Then if you go down to verse 20, the next principle. So the whole community of the Israelites went out from the presence of Moses, everyone whose heart stirred him to action. Everyone whose heart was moved or motivated from within to act. Now, this isn't the only time this phrase is used. If you look then with me over in verse 26, this is talking about the gals in the community. And all the women whose heart stirred them to action and who were skilled spun goat's hair. Motivated and moved from within at the heart level. This is another principle that God wants to see in his people. First of all, it is do I have a heart, we've talked a lot about that, that responds to God. Do I have a heart that can be moved and motivated by the Spirit of God. That's where it starts. And then it's not that I should be acting or stepping forward or stepping out to act and do something within the community because of external pressure, because other people are making me feel guilty or I'm being, you know, browbeat uh, by others, and, and so I, I do it out of guilt. No, no, no. God wants us to be motivated from our heart, from within, 
Not external pressure, but internal movement and motivation from the heart. And this, again, is where many times we today in our churches, we fail. Because we put people on guilt trips in order to get them to serve and all of that. And that's never been God's way. God wants us to worship him properly and to teach the word properly and to give the spirit an environment in which to move and motivate. And then it's up to what heart is, is there ready to respond to that and for them then to be moved at that heart level. Amen. Because if you and I, first of all, put people on guilt trips and have them move into positions in a church, that never works. And it is not going to be something that's going to be sustained. And it's one of the reasons why we have, you know, what's called burnout today and, and, and where people feel very dissatisfied in their service and ministry because it wasn't something that they were motivated to do from their heart. It was something that they just did because they felt like, well, nobody else is going to do it, so I guess I'll do it. Or they're, they're, they keep bugging me about it, so I guess I'll step up and do it. That's never been God's motivation. It is always those whose hearts are stirred to action. But again, that also means that our heart has to be tender and soft and pliable to the Lord so that when his spirit moves, we respond. Notice the next. This goes along with it. If you start back up in verse 5, let everyone who has a willing heart bring an offering to the Lord, a generous, magnanimous heart. And you see this word willing over and over again in this chapter. Look down at verse 21. Everyone whose heart stirred him to action, everyone whose spirit was willing, came and brought an offering for the Lord, for the work of the tent. Look at verse 22. They came, men and women alike, all who had willing hearts. Verse 29. The Israelites brought a free will offering to the Lord. Every man and woman whose heart was willing to bring materials for others. Why are we emphasize? Why does God emphasize that? Because again, it's not out of compulsion. It's not out of guilt that he wants his people to be involved in ministry and in contributing to the work of the Lord or in bringing an offering. It's that they're doing everything that they're doing for the Lord because they want to, not because they feel they have to. It's a want to. Those are the people you want in ministry. Those are the people you want serving those are the people you want contributing as part of your, of your community of believers, not those who feel they have to or who are there because they're out of guilt and compulsion. And we, exactly that, again, 
That's why we even handle the contribution and the offering the way we do here at the Oasis. I don't want to ever get up in front of you and make you feel any kind of compulsion or guilt to give anything to the Lord, including yourselves. I want that to come through the Spirit, from your heart, and that you want to do something, not that, well, the pastor arm twisted me or, or a brother or sister twisted my arm or made me feel bad because I didn't. Listen, if that's it, then that's never God's way. Never God's way. He wants those who are willingly giving of themselves, willingly contributing, willingly making the offering. A couple interesting things about this word willing. It means to be inclined towards God. I love that. If they're leaning, they're leaning towards God. And also one who is inspired, encouraged to give. Again, it's a positive motivation. They're inspired to do it. They're encouraged to do it, not pressured to do it. Willing. Again, it's so great that God's principles for his people in a community of worshipers has not changed in thousands of years. These principles are just as solid for us today as they were in Moses' day. One final tonight. Notice verse 31. Whatever work God wants to see done in his house, around his house, in ministry for him, he will enable his servants to do it. Notice verse 31. He has filled, fully furnished him with the spirit of God and everything that Bezalel would need to be the lead contractor, if you will, on the tabernacle. Filled him. Notice verse 34. This phrase. He, God, has put it in his heart. Verse 35, he has filled them with skill to do all kinds of work. Fully furnished. In fact, you see this principle bleeding over into next week's chapter. If you just look at it for a moment, in chapter 36, verse 1, the Lord has put skill and ability to know how to do all the work. This is the final principle tonight. That whatever God expects, whatever God desires, whatever it is that God's will is, he will enable, equip, provide his people with everything we will need. We never have to worry that he's going to ask us to do something, call us to do something, appoint us to do something, and that we won't have the wherewithal to do it. He'll make sure that we do. We just have to trust him. He will put it in us. If we don't have it already, he'll put it in us. That's exactly what it says here. Fully furnish it. 
Now, as I went down through this chapter and came to this last principle about God filling or putting it in us, obviously there was something that caught my eye, and I want to share it with you. I hope it will be an encouragement to those of you out there who teach, especially those who teach the Word. Because you'll notice in verse 34 that one of the other enablements that God gave to Bezalel and to Olaib is that they, he put in their heart to teach, not just to build, not just to oversee, but also to teach his word. Now, when you look at this word, this is what really was enlightening for me and also encouraging to me. It means to be a conduit, a channel, a pipeline. That's all God asks of teachers. He says, I just want you to be my pipeline, that I literally can pour things out into you and it just flows from you to others. That's a teacher at least from God's perspective. I don't need to come up with it. God says, I'll put it in you, and you just pass it on to others. And in a sense, then, that means all of us in the community are teacher to some respect. Because all of us, at times in our Christian life, should be sharing God's truth and God's word with others. We should be sharing what God has revealed to us, what he has shown us, what he has put into our heart, what he has poured out into our life. We should be sharing that with somebody. And that's all he asks. He doesn't ask us to come up with it. He just asks us to be the conduit and the channel and the pipeline for what he is going to put into us. And I can say that certainly, again, was enlightening and encouraging to me because I've sort of felt for years like that's sort of the way God and I have partnered in this thing, but I never really had a, a verse that I could go, yep, that's it, but now I do. Like, that's sort of the way God and I work. I just wait for him to put it into me, and I just pass it on to you all. Because it certainly doesn't come from me. So look at yourself that way. You are a holy pipeline, a channel that just is ready to be filled up with God's truth and God's word and God's principles and then just pass it on. Let it flow out from you to touch other people's lives. So I just want to briefly, just quickly go down through and let's review these again because they're so important. These principles... For the people of God, two primary things, the worship of God, the presence of God. Verse 1, whole community involved. Second principle, must keep a Sabbath. Third principle, must be a contributor, bringing an offering. Fourth principle, must be a builder, 
coming and making something out of what God has provided for us. Fifth principle, it's got to come from the heart, a heart that is stirred. Sixth principle, it's got to be from a willing heart or a willing spirit. And seventh principle, I never have to worry about coming up with it myself because God will fill us and will provide for us and put into us whatever he so desires. I hope that these principles tonight will be an encouragement and an enlightenment to you all as much as it was to me. And it's just two great principles for us as a community of believers to say, here it is. These, this is our path. This is what we've got to keep striving for because God has not changed. These are the same things he's looking for today that he was looking for in Moses' day as well. Let's pray. Father, we thank you tonight for the wonderful time we've had in your house. God, it is amazing how, Lord, really people never change. We've had the same needs since you created us in the garden. We have the same struggles. And Lord, even the way you designed worship and you designed your house and the way you wanted your worshipers to be, God, has not really changed much in thousands of years. Kingdoms have come and gone and cultures have changed and the names have changed on countries and places in the world, but God, the hearts of people have remained the same. They need you, God. For without you, God, we are all lost. And we need a savior. <laughs> and you've provided one for us. A very sufficient savior in your son, Jesus. And because of who you are, and all that you have done, you are worthy of our worship, God. May we be a people that rise up every day desiring to worship you, not because we have to, not because we feel guilt, but because it's our heart's desire. We want to worship you, God. We want to build something with our lives that honors you. We, we want to make a contribution to your ministry and, and bring our offerings, God, including our, our talents and, and our abilities and our skills, God, that we know you have put within us to bring honor and glory to you. But God, may we always do it from a willing spirit and a willing heart. So, Lord, even tonight, I pray that as your spirit is moving and working, that God will also learn to rest in you. Oh, God, do we need to learn to rest in our God. Even in our seeming act inactivity, God, we still can be so... twisting and turning 
and in turmoil. Our body can even be at rest, but our mind is not at rest. Our body can be inactive, but our heart may not be at rest. So, Lord, help us to learn not just to rest our physical bodies, but help us, Lord, to learn to rest our minds and our hearts. Help us, Lord, to learn to rest our spirits and our souls. Help us, Lord, to learn what real rest, Sabbath rest, is all about, God. So that we can be revived and renewed and refreshed in you, God. Thank you, God, for this time we have every Wednesday to come to your house as a community of believers in you and to worship you and to be in your word. Lord, may we do this until you come or until we go to be with you, God. May we be a committed people. We pray in Jesus' name, amen. Thanks so much for being here. We'll see you next week.